0: Okay, so um, I have here on the podcast Krista Holmans, otherwise known as NeuroDivergent Rebel. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Autism Podcast, Krista.
1: Oh, it's entirely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you, thank you. The honor is all ours, absolutely. And also, we've got here James Gordon. How are you, James? Hi
2: there. I am good. Yeah?
0: So, we're really excited to talk to you about um, all things uh, neurodiversity. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, we should just sort of get get straight into it if that's okay. Um, so our first question for you is if you could just tell us a little bit about your autism journey, please, Krista, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I was born autistic. I've been autistic my uh, entire life and I will die autistic, but I had no idea I was autistic until I was almost 30. And, you know, when I did find out at the age of 29, it really turned my entire worldview upside down. You know, growing up, I distinctly remember feeling like everyone else was really irrational and weird. And then I had no idea that I was actually, you know, the contrarian, despite, you know, being called this name and many others (laughs) growing Mm. up. Mm. Um, You know, people have, you know, always accused me of being different or difficult just for the sake of being a rebel. Um, but you know I'm never intentionally being difficult um, and it, oh. it just really opened my eyes and let me look at my life with entirely new uh, lenses and fresh perspective and then you know I started blogging in in the fall of 2016 really as a way to cope with the diagnosis It was really still fresh information um, I think it was like less than a month after my diagnosis I like Started the blog, and I didn't even really know what I wanted to say yet. Um, but I, I, I did. Um, I, I knew that what I was seeing on the internet was wasn't you know what matched my experience. And the more I started to interact with other autistic people online. Uh, the more I realize that, like, you know, when you, what you Google and what you find when you, you look for autism, uh, what's readily available and easiest to access is just this really horrible gloom and doom uh, stuff that mm. it isn't, doesn't match, you know, the autistic life experience of the autistic people I've met and gotten to know and shared, you know, their experiences online with me, so... Uh, I I just had to do something about it so I dove in like head first like right as I was diagnosed because I was processing all of this on my own and it was like no this is all wrong because I was going through this process and all I could find was you know this this nightmare scenario.
0: (laughs) Yeah Uh, how did you that's really interesting and it's really sad that there's so much negative stigmatizing narrative online you're absolutely right Um, but how did you it's really interesting that you you know, leverage the situation positively, you know, and created your blog and, and perhaps didn't accept this negativity and pushed on. Is, that, am I interpreting that correctly? And if so, how did you, what was it about you that enabled you to see past all the negativity and, and, you know, and, and do, and, and, and move forwards positively and, 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 you know, that sort of thing. How did you adjust and leverage everything? If I'm interpreting it correctly.
1: Well, yeah, you know, um, well, for for a while, since probably my mid-20s to late 20s, I've been kind of on like this mental journey. I I got really into Buddhism when I was about 25, Mm. Um, and it's just like a a system to kind of organize your, your brain and become more aware of your thoughts, and I had become very aware of myself. Um, And it also encourages you to kind of seek the middle path, you know, kind of a a middle road. Nothing is really good or bad. It just kind of is. Um, But I'll admit, when I was first diagnosed, I kind of almost went through something that was like the stages of grief, honestly. Like there was, you know, looking back at things, there was a bit of frustration at first, like, you know, wow, all of this had been missed. How could they miss this? How could everyone miss this? Why didn't you, you know, and, and, but then there's nothing you can do about it. So it's like, you come to peace with that and you, you breathe through it. And then it's like, you know, once, once you've really accepted it, you know, I was ready to move forward, um, and just do something about it. Um, and I think just that, you know, through blogging and, Making something like a project out of it, it helped me kind of cope and focus on it in a good way, uh, because I was like focused on correcting the misinformation. Because I, I don't know, every time I saw like these things, like you know, autistic people don't have empathy, and you know, the really terrible myths Mm. that are out there, um, it just would make me angry because I was like, that's that you're basically trying to say these people are inhuman.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the, <laughs> the stereotypes out there, misconceptions are absolutely ridiculous and very harmful and problematic. So, you know, just to congratulate you on, on sort of, you know, um, not self-stigmatizing too much, which is always my fear with these things, you know, that people internalize the stigma and apply it to themselves and, and get stuck in a rut, you know, and that can affect their mental health. Uh, whereas with you, 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 you somehow managed to Push on, create your blog and and push back let 's say and it 's interesting that you say your 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 sort of learnings from Buddhism maybe gave, gave you a sort of sense of perspective i, I don 't know quite how to put it, but it sounds certainly sounds like it it was um, uh, very useful for you the, uh, yeah. the, that aspect
1: and, and you know what else I, sh- I should add too, because hearing you talk back about it lets me realize i 've forgotten to mention something that I think is crucial the person who diagnosed me, you know, she didn't say that this was something wrong with me. And she actually recommended, you know, books by autistic authors.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. And so that really
1: set me on a good path, too. So, Mm. you know, maybe if I wouldn't have started off reading autistic voices first and I would have started reading, like, you know, medical manuals and that really depressing dribble, but even that, when I read the DSM, like, I could see how... Even the things that I thought were my skills were described as bad things, you know? And I was like, no, take that and shove it, you know?
0: <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's fantastic that you're the, the person that diagnosed you, you know, um, uh, uh, framed it in that way because that's so often not the case. I had this personal mm-hmm. experience recently, um, I've mentioned on a podcast before. Um, where my youngest son who's now uh three uh about six months ago he had a diagnosis so he was we, we you know you know we're, we're fortunate enough to sort of understand autism and and um uh, you know we were able to sort of seek a diagnosis quite quite quickly because you know we we knew very very quickly that he was likely to be autistic so we went to seek the diagno- the diagnosis and the professional that did the diagnosis agreed that he was uh, he was indeed uh, autistic. But she was very um, negative and stigmatizing, I think, in the way that she communicated to us about it. In particular, there was this one phrase that she used, um, specifically that, you know, she sort of sat us down and she, and she said to us, you know, I'm aware that you, you've already got um, a, a, a son who's autistic. You know, I, I have a, a, my oldest son is autistic, uh, my 10-year-old. Um, And so she said, you know, I'm aware that you've got this other autistic son. Your first son was autistic, you know. So, um, you know, weren't you aware that, you know, if you're going to have children again, that you're going to have this, this happen again, you know? And she was sort of, sort of suggesting to me that I should have known better, you know. In fact, I think she said she used the word, "Don't you know it's genetic?" You know, "Don't you know?" You know, it was all implying. I I mean, and and that's just horrible. (sighs) Unfortunately. You know, my wife and I. You know, we know better. You know, we're, you know we're able to sort of push back and challenge that. And you know, obviously they're talking to the wrong people in that regard. But it, you know, it, with many, many, many other people, that kind of discourse just puts people in the wrong, f- terribly wrong frame of mind straight away, right? And and just adds to the stigma. So um, it's it's fantastic that it, you know you didn't have that um, experience, and that you know your yours was a bit more. Um, Uh, uh, you know positive and productive so that's that's great um so I think
1: yours is more common though from Mm. what I hear from other people you know especially when diagnoses are being handed down to kids especially it's very like gloom and doom you must start therapy now you need to do all these things your kid's never gonna your kid's never gonna your kid's never gonna your kid's never gonna and they start telling the parents all their things their kid will never do and that's like where they're in a crossroads. Are they going to believe all the things that these people are telling them their kids will never do? Or are they going to focus on, you know, all the wonderful things that they can celebrate in this child and empower them to be the best person they can be?
0: Mm, absolutely. And it, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. the
1: diagnostic person, I think, you know, has, has a lot of power and unfortunately, I, I don't think your situation is uncommon.
0: No, you're right. I, I agree. And, it, and part of the one of the things that we want to do in the charity is to is to potentially because this podcast uh, falls within one of the activities that the London Autism Group charity does and one of the things we want to do is uh, at some point uh, create a sort of training package um to try and boost uh, professionals um, understanding of autism and and destigmatize it um and work with them because if nothing's done i, d- I just think these people are just going to continue you know this this problematic um way of approaching it and, and it causes all sorts of problems and the parents and carers are so vulnerable you know with their mental mm-hmm. health at that juncture as well that it's a really crucial crucial point or the autistic person getting the diagnosis of course so that you know um it's it's a really really crucial juncture that needs to be handled uh uh, properly, but Krista, if you don't mind me asking, what what led to the diagnosis? So I'm interested to to understand. You know, what was it that you say you were you were diagnosed a little bit later in life, and and uh, you you would have liked to have been diagnosed earlier. But what was it about? What happened? If you don't mind me asking, when you were 29, and what what led to that diagnosis? You know, what was it in your life? Yeah. That, yeah.
1: Well, my health. You know, I. I'm someone who, if I want to do something, you know, I'm so hard-headed and stubborn and determined that I will do it and I probably won't stop until it's done. And you know, sometimes I can push myself past what's healthy and past my limits and make myself sick because I can push myself too hard if I want to do something. But usually I don't do things that I don't enjoy or that are, you know, too excessively difficult for me. And I was at a point in my life where I thought I had, you know, my dream job and they wanted me to be someone I wasn't, at least at work. And, you know, you think, oh, well, this is who you are supposed to be for your employer. So you need, you know, you need to be, you know, this person at work and that's just who you are for work and it's no big deal. But the cost of that on me was just so intense and so heavy that I started to get sick physical symptoms and sickness from it and then also the sensory environment they had fluorescent lighting um i i i was i was getting really ill and i was also you know my self-esteem had just plummeted because i i'd never tried so hard to do something and failed so miserably at it because i you know don't usually try to do things I'm just not naturally inclined towards and trying to fit myself into a very non-autistic type role and behavior, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week, um, you know, even things like, you know, they talk about, like, literally, like, I, I, there were people that would say, okay, remember your body language, like, I'm not joking. Like,
0: wow, are you serious? That's what they I, said to you? Yeah.
1: Well, to everyone, but it was, like, because they didn't want to single anyone out. But mm. it was, like, they kept saying it a lot. Mm. Uh, it was just weird. And, like, I would be getting coached for things. And, you know, looking back now that I'm not in that employee, with that employer anymore, uh, a lot of those things, in hindsight, were actually, like, that they were they were trying to coach me to be less autistic.
0: Mm. That's terrible. But I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, you, you, you undoubtedly just deal with it every day in your usual life you know the world the way that world the world is set up and society is set up it's so so um you know it's all about sort of social conformity and rules and demands and expectations and you know it's not the 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 the, the sort of um you know the most conducive uh you know way of uh of of approaching anyone really is including autistic people and and so when you've got those those sorts of demands and, and expectations and you're you know adapting and, and all the rest of it then you're going into work and it's a new a whole new level of it it's undoubtedly going to cause you a lot of burnout i suppose
1: yeah so. and then you know it's easy to be like you know when i got into buddhism this is so cheesy i feel like i, I before got into buddhism i got really into yoga and that's what led me to Buddhism. Um, and before I was into yoga, and that was like when my early teens, and I was like 21, 22, um, I was really out of tune with like my body, like totally disconnected from it. Um, I mean, it's helped me to kind of be more aware of what's physically going on in my body. Um, right. Because for a lot of years in my entire life, I was really tuned out with it. Uh, and you know what I also realized, though, which was kind of a downside, is how uncomfortable I really was all the time.
0: Oh right, because I was more in
1: tune with what was going on and I realized how much of myself had just been like almost like putting myself on autopilot and just trying to tune out everything and numb myself to everything all the time and then Mm. once I started to be more aware of myself I was more aware of my discomfort and so there were good and bad things about that but I also became a lot more you know once I was diagnosed because I was so hyper aware of my body I was really like all of a sudden like more willing to be like no this is uncomfortable for me no this doesn't and then people were kind of confused by it because they were like well you never complained about this before you know it's like well I feel like you know it's just funny right Wow. I I think there was a point I was trying to get to that I still I kind of went in the circle and didn't really make it I'm sorry
0: no 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 I I think you made your point very clearly actually that you know, the, the yoga sort of made you, you know, sort of very, very aware of, of your body and, uh, 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 and your sort of sensory experience. And that perhaps protected you to some degree, right, from from burnout. And maybe even, I'm guessing, made you aware that you were, you were struggling in that, in that work environment, maybe. So I think the point you're making was that the yoga essentially helped you. It was really good for you. And that's, that's fantastic. Um.
1: And it, but it's not for everyone because like, you know, like I was saying how it made me kind of more aware of the bad things too so you know if now all of a sudden if you're like hyper aware of your discomfort you know that could, that might not be good for everyone
0: so oh really is that what happens it, I, I've never done it well
1: you know because well I mean like you're, you're, you are you're know if all of a sudden you're like really awa- like mindfulness it's, mm. it's kind of a mindfulness practice in your mm. body is what yoga is right um, and so it's like mindfulness isn't for everybody cause some people, they, they have too much mindfulness and they are get too introspective and they get in their own head and it's not a good place. So mm. I don't want to say it's like a, a magic cure ever, you know, for everyone. Mm. It just kind of, uh, helped me be a more physically aware of mm. like the sensations in my body when I was kind of more out of tune with myself for a lot you, of years.
0: Do you still do it today or
1: not as much as I should. <laughs> I do. A, I still do a lot of mindfulness and like breathing practices. Yeah. I don't do as much stretching and exercise as I should. And I really need to.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. Badly. <laughs> uh, okay. That's really, really interesting. Uh, so I'll hand you over to James.
2: Okay. Um, so you've talked a little bit about your journey um, and I s- I'm guessing that this um, will come into the next question. Um, so you've got this amazing ability to focus on important topics that are very relevant to autistic people. Um, I can see that by your, you know, your very prolific work on social media in advocating for the autistic community. So you know, you get a huge reaction from um, autistic people online. Uh, on Twitter, etc. Um, So perhaps um, we could talk a little bit about where your ability might come from and if you do a lot of research on the topics that you talk about or do you think it comes instinctively through your uh, sharing your autistic experiences?
1: Yeah, and this was actually a really good question because I had to think about this a lot and, and I appreciate you asking it. Um, I think, you know almost in a stereotypical way. You know, I say I hate stereotypes so often, but sometimes they just fit and you're like, ah, but it fits. Uh, I've I've got that visual pattern recognition type of thinking. And so I also read really, really fast. Uh, And so scrolling through Twitter, you know, when I'm looking through like actually autistic and hashtags and just looking through the feed of what autistic people are saying, You know, all the topics that come up over and over again are just staring me in the face. They're glaringly obvious. Like I see, I'm like, oh, I've seen this, you know, so many times already. And so the other thing I think that helped is because my diagnosis was so recent uh, and I went on Twitter, even before I really started writing on the blog, like I wrote a few blogs about like mindfulness and like Buddhism and that kind of stuff, because that's where I was at my diagnosis oh I remember what I was gonna say that's how I kind of knew something was off yoga and mindfulness um, I I was searching for something and it was really I had a lot of anxiety and I didn't have a word for what it was and so you know I was doing all of these things to try and calm myself um, and I I knew you know that something wasn't right and that's what kind of led me towards like seeking diagnosis because I had already done a lot of soul searching in my own head. Um, anyway,
0: um, that's really interesting. Off
1: track again. I, I, I ramble a lot.
0: Um, (laughs) That's great. Another autistic
1: stereotype. Yes. Uh, (laughs) they, you know, they fit sometimes. (laughs) Um, but my diagnosis was like fresh. And so I got on Twitter and I was actually, I, I, I was learning about autism what, and it was interesting to see other people saying things that you're like, oh my gosh, I've never had words for that before, but that is my exact experience like over and over again. And so it was a lot of like, what are my questions? What do I want to know? What am I discovering about myself right now? Uh, and so at first that kind of got me going because. I was like, I wonder why I do this. I wonder why, or does everyone else do this? Or is it just me? And it was a lot of that. And then now I've been on Twitter so long uh, and I I do try to like, I I, I can't keep up with the notifications anymore. It's impossible, but I do at least like, I skim Twitter and I look at like the hashtags and I try to see what the community is talking about and what's coming up over and over again. Um, and if I see, you know, people are having a bunch of satellite conversations about one thing, but they're not really unified, I will, you know, try to start a master thread so that everyone can have the conversation together. Um, because I, I, I never wanted, you know, it to really be about me. Um, I I think, you know, it's the whole reason I do this is because I was frustrated that I couldn't find autistic voices and so I wanted to find or create a place or a way to find autistic voices on the internet
0: <laughs> mm. so, um, so you didn 't have autistic people in your life around you personally in your own real well, world I mean you didn 't well, know anyone you didn 't know anyone out
1: or diagnosed, and they 're <laughs> still in right. the closet and won 't admit right. it whether you know I try to out them or not i 'm like, come on, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know
0: right, right, right so yeah, Twitter is fantastic in that way it 's certainly something that I use to. And I think uh, James uh, uses to just keep keep prize with of all of the sort of latest discourse and uh, topics, and uh, one of those topics is, of course, always uh, neurodiversity. Um, and uh, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to ask you a little bit about that, if you don't mind, because your um, your YouTube channel is called Neurodiverse Rebel, right? That's that's um, your online YouTube. Uh, channel name it's very successful and fantastic uh, I've watched a number of your videos as as has James it's really really absolutely fantastic work uh, you must be making such a huge impact so congratulations uh, and if anyone hasn't if anyone's listening to this and hasn't seen any of your videos then please go on YouTube and search for uh, neuro-divergent your channel rebel, yeah, yeah. Uh, neurodivergent rebel isn't it the, the mm-hmm. name. So where did you get that name from, if you don't mind me asking? Is there something specific in the phrase um, neurodivergent rebel? Uh, Does it mean something specific to you? Sure, Um,
1: yeah. I spent several weeks thinking about the name, honestly. And, you know, I, I knew I was frustrated with the language in the medical diagnosis for autism. And I wanted a name that was very me. And, like I kind of hinted at and said earlier, you know, I've kind of been called a rebel my entire life, Mm. despite, you know, that never being intentional. It's just kind of who I am. I I don't respond well, you know, to people who bark orders, that demand avoidance thing that I guess, you know, is so common in a lot of us. Uh, But I was never trying to be difficult. Um, And NeuroDivergent Rebel really felt free of uh, pathology. And it also, it really did feel me. Uh, and it also felt like something that anyone could be, you know, I, I, you know, I almost want to encourage like anyone could be a neurodivergent rebel, I, not just, you know, if anyone would wear that shirt neurodivergent rebel and they can be a neurodivergent rebel, it doesn't, you just, because I started it doesn't mean it has to be me. I don't know. I almost wish a lot of times I would have started the blog and not published my name and my face, but I can't go back now. There's no putting it back. Like I'm out there, Um, uh, and I'm it's I'm reluctant sometimes, but you know it's it's been fun, and I guess I I don't think I'd do anything differently.
0: So the term neurodivergent rebel, then, that's, is that then, uh, at least in part, a sort of pushback against the sort of medical model view of autism, right? The sort of patho- pathologizing of autism yeah. and the, perhaps the sort of more social take, social perspective on, on autism, which, which, you know, we in this podcast uh, have you know, fully endorse. <laughs> is that is just, that what that partly is about? Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: and it's not to say that, you know, being autistic doesn't mean, you know, you don't have a disability or you can't have a disability too or it can't be disabling for someone. You know, I don't want to say want people to misinterpret it, but neurodiversity, really, it is a fact, you know, brain diversity isn't something you can deny, there are many different types of brains and ways of thinking from autism to ADHD, dyslexia, uh, dyscalculia, beyond, you know, there's there's many, Mm. Uh, and for so many years, people with, you know, disabilities or cognitive differences have been treated as if they were broken or second class citizens, and the important thing is that every single human life and brain has value. Um, and I think, you know, when empowered, neurodivergent people can live happy lives and are often, you know, bring unique um, talents and fresh perspectives to the world. And, you know, in any, you know, in, in nature, you know, diversity is essential to, to survival. Biodiversity, genetic diversity, you know, thinking style diversity, human diversity. And it's a beautiful thing if we honor and respect everybody's abilities and limitations, too.
0: So neurodiversity is obviously a very um, crucial um, thing. It's real. Um, the, obviously, people do think in different ways. It'd be boring if they weren't. You know, if people's brains were wired in the same way, more or less, you know, that would be boring. It wouldn't be conducive to human progress. Uh, and um, in, 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 But I think, you know, to get human progress from that diversity, to leverage neurodiversity... I think we need to push back against the stigma. Right? That's a, that 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 seems to be there towards uh, the neurodiversity community uh, in some places. Obviously, there's there there are communities on both sides. But it seems to me that, um, in particular, people who are pro- proponents of the medical model are often pushing back against neurodiver- the neurodiversity community. And I'm slightly concerned that one of the problems with that, the stigma related to that. Is that we're not then, as you say, sort of harnessing diversity, you know, leveraging it and then progressing, you know, because everybody's got so many strengths. And I think if we could just recognize that and value it as a society, and we could make progress, as you were saying. Um, so my question to you is, do you agree about the, the, the fact that there are some people that stigmatize the neurodiversity uh, community and, and, and approach and, you know, that it's a problem? Have you got any thoughts on that?
1: Oh, yes, I agree, and uh, unfortunately, I think it's actually very intentional and very targeted um, because there are, there are people out there in certain groups that have um, the potential to have financial gain you know, by profiting off of the stigma, mm-hmm. uh, like you alluded to people who are tied closely to the medical model. You know, If you've got these parents of newly diagnosed kids... And you're, you, you you tell them, oh, you know, if you don't go get this therapy and you don't go do this, this, and this, like right now and start doing this 40 hours a week and doing that this many hours a week, you're, you, you know, you're never, you're, your kid's never going to get anywhere. And, and they're playing on that fear and that stigma, whereas if it were, oh, you know, everything's going to be okay, this is your, you know, more moderate and more realistic and not, this is what your kid will never do if you don't do this. Um... And so, you know, there's financial gain in keeping autism stigmatized, and so that's one problem. Mm. Um, And then, you know, we've got the other people, um, you know, on the internet who are more individuals, and I think a lot of that is misunderstanding of what neurodiversity is. Uh, The biggest argument I see from those people are, oh, they're saying autism isn't a disability and it definitely disables me and it makes my life harder. Uh, and, you know, none of us say that isn't true. Um, and I think that, that's a lot of misunderstanding. Um, and people are afraid, oh, you know, if if they move away from this medical model, how will I get my, you know, get, uh, you know, if they're on benefits or services or, you know, people are afraid um, because they don't understand. And so that's, I think, the other um, reason people like like oh i don't like that neurodiversity idea <laughs> and mm. people have really really strong feelings about it unfortunately
0: mm. yeah um i think i think you you're you're right you're right i mean i i, th- I think it's a really important point though uh, krista what you said that you know we don't want to you know uh deny people's feelings about uh their their identity that you know if they feel that they are disabled, if they identify as disabled because they're autistic, then of course, we, we should respect that, I think, right? And everybody, you know, has the right to identify in, in the way they want. But I suppose what we're saying is from a sort of social perspective is that a lot of the challenges are magnified and, and worsened by the way that society is set up. And if we are pathologizing autism in a very sort of strict away you know in that it is a, 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 a you know a, almost a disease to to be rid of then that is the fear that you you know you have you know people in society believing that it is a fundamental problem that needs getting rid of and, that, and and that's 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 hugely problematic isn't it because it hurts. you know that's part of people's identity and and that can destroy people's self-esteem
1: it's people like you are so terrible, we want to wipe you off the face of the earth because we don't want more people like you to exist. Yeah. That's I what mean, it sounds like to an autistic right, person. Right, right, right. You know, it's, it's, it's on a much deeper level than that. It's a really, it, you know, and people are like, oh, but, you know, how, you how can you say that? You're not a parent. You don't have to deal with this. And it's like how can you know people it's just i don't understand how people can't see how hurtful that is right. to any right. autistic person to you yeah. know say you know people like you shouldn't exist yeah. or that like you know people like you shouldn't be allowed to reproduce or um, all all these horrible things that are common
0: yeah absolutely yeah there has to be recognition of that absolutely and and that is social stigma you know and that, and that that uh, that really magnifies the challenges. There can be no doubt about that. If there's acceptance and and sort of love for autistic people, like you, like anyone else, and acceptance like anyone else, then you know and, and sort of equality in the way that autistic people are treated, you know, then uh, that can't be a bad thing, can it? Surely. <laughs> treat everyone Seems nicely. Obvious. Yeah. Be- treat Seems everyone obvious.
1: with kindness and human dignity. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean it's so obvious that it's it's sad that we're even talking about it. I think, Krista, <laughs> don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
1: mean, yeah, I it seems like it would be common sense, right? Mm. But mm. no, sad. we have to talk. Yeah. We have to have these conversations, unfortunately, and, and I I think we're going to be having them for, for many years to come. It doesn't look like the end is in sight. And you know, in the UK, what I'm seeing coming out of actually just Europe and the other side of the the globe is it actually is a bit better than it is over here in America. I'd say we're we're pretty behind in America.
0: I feel that too. I spend a lot of time in America and and I I just get the sense uh from being there that it is that you know America's sort of conception of autism and perception of it is is a little bit behind the UK for sure for sure but we what? also have progress to make. I think
1: the things I say are a lot less radical to people in the UK than yes, they are to yeah. people here in America. People yeah. in America are like, I've had people like, literally, I just said, you know, I don't know what I said. I said, autism isn't a tragedy, I think. And someone got up and walked out of one of my speeches once.
0: Wow. That, yeah. is, that is just unbelievable. It's just so sad. So sad. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'll pass you over to James. Uh, thanks, Krista.
2: <laughs> we just wanted to ask you a quick question about the state of the autism diagnosis it's obviously not fit for purpose at the moment from an autistic perspective the obvious answer to me would be um to have more a lot more input from autistic people (laughs) what are your views on that
1: oh Um, gosh yes (laughs) yes i we i mean we have we have a really long way to go um, and, you know, like we were saying earlier, I think I was really lucky that all the stars aligned, you know, when I was having the health crisis that led to my diagnosis. I'm fortunate to being diagnosed, lucky, you know, even my childhood was well documented and I had lots of, like, tapes. Um, and mm. living relatives to speak to my development so I could be late diagnosed and I had... You know the resources and doctors to refer me, and you know appropriate specialists in my area, and all of that because all of those things are really complicated. Um, And you know, I think it was also that blessing that the person diagnosing me, like I said, didn't say I was broken. And Mm -hmm. so many autistic people are not that lucky. Um, They, you know, they may never accidentally stumble across you know a book or a video or anything that's by an autistic adult or an autistic artist. Um, They may. You know find never find themselves digging into neurodiversity and hearing that you know they're like they're not cursed and that it doesn't have to be like this horrible uh, diagnosis that you know that they may have been told when they were diagnosed um, you know they they might not have insurance or in the uk i guess you all have coverage huh but i hear your wait your wait times are like years long to get diagnosed right
2: yeah yeah Uh, because can be yeah because we got the national health service so um and you can't
1: go private right
2: you can go private but it's it's
0: very expensive it is a bit of a postcode lottery as we say here in the uk it depends on really where you live what local authority come under and what what sort of um level of resource each particular area that you live in has and you know there is a mm-hmm. lot of variation just from area to area, region to region in, in money, in, in uh, pr- you know, sort of progress, in understanding autism and the whole, the whole thing is a lot of regional differences. So if, you're in, if you live in an area where there's not a lot of money and, and there's a lot of demand, you could be waiting a long time for your mm-hmm. diagnosis. But in some other areas, it can, be, it, it can move uh, uh, quite a bit faster than that. So it, it will depend on where you live. But at yeah. least we, you know, have the National Health Service. You know, we do have uh, national coverage. But, in, of course, in the States, that isn't the but case, is it?
1: Do you just kind of get who you... No, no. It's, you, you get your own insurance, and it's, it's a mess, and it's, it's the, system, the system is broken. And I don't know the answer to that one. Um, but let, let me ask you this, then. When, when you go to get diagnosis through the, through the government, you kind of get who you get, or do you get to pick a doctor?
0: no no you get who you get (laughs) see and then
1: the thing I got you know I I had a referral and it was like you know call the local autism society and I called them and asked for a list of names who had experience with adults Mm. and so I got to like have lists of people that were in my area and I called them and asked if they were you know and I got to like call them and vet them on my own like I would any other you know person like a doctor because if you're GP you vet them and you pick them um, but I don't know. Do you guys... I don't know how it works no, over there. it's not,
2: not it how it works work here, no, yeah, yeah, See? It's yeah. by your So that's area.
1: nice that, you know, I, I got to, you know, have that option. But I'm also... I'm not in the big city, but I'm near Austin, which is the capital of Texas. And so right. that's another thing. You know, I'm not in a small town, but I'm sure people... I hear... Are, you know sometimes like it might be hours away there may be one person and that person may not diagnose or understand adults or masking or any of those things and a lot of people get misdiagnosed with other things
0: right right or just fail to be diagnosed when they when they yeah. should right? yeah yeah
1: doctors I mean, say I'm not mm, it doesn't I don't see why you want a diagnosis you're an adult already there's nothing you know there's no right, right. like people <laughs> things like that they don't yeah Or you're we over
0: here we get a lot of sort of female discrimination you know oh you know it's not a really female thing you know if you're if you're you know a, a, a verbal um, articulate f- uh, adult female I think you're at most risk of not being of being failed to being diagnosed you know to mm-hmm. being missed. And you'll
1: probably probably be diagnosed with a mood disorder or yeah
0: or yeah yeah depression yeah. Or, right, or something
1: right. else which might actually you know could be true and too but it, it's probably a result you know of being undiagnosed or I mean, I, I, you know, I started to have, I have anxiety issues all the time, but they flare up, they ebb and flow, you know, when life gets too hard or I'm pushing too hard or, you know, you know, it, 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 mental health, it goes up and down. It's like a roller coaster sometimes. And um, that was at peak when I got diagnosed and I've got it under control right now and knock on wood, hope it stays that way. But, you know, it's a lot of that comes from not knowing how to handle myself you know
0: (laughs) so did did did, did you or did your anxiety increase or decrease as a as a consequence of the diagnosis or is it not simple as that
1: uh so I was diagnosed um, autistic and with social anxiety diagnosis I think honestly general anxiety uh, is probably more accurate or maybe a little bit more intensive a diagnosis than just social anxiety. But I was kind of holding back because of that, you know, there's a stigma against anxiety and mental health. And I didn't even have the words to describe mental health when I was being diagnosed. And she was, you know, I was, I was like, I don't have anxiety. You know, I, I still was like, I don't have anxiety. What are you talking about? And, you know, I had all the physical symptoms of anxiety, but like, like, you know, I had mentally tuned it out that I, in my head, I was just Mm. so used to like operating at all times at a very high level of anxiety. And I had a very high stress job. Like that, I was just constantly like, you know, floored pedal to the metal anxiety level all the way up, you know, cranked to 11 at all times that I had just come perpetuated to it. And so I had to kind of, one, accept anxiety, learn what anxiety was, learn to recognize like, and that was like, okay, now I have to use my mindfulness in a new way. Like, oh, this is anxiety now. Here's my friend anxiety again. And hi, anxiety, you're back. Okay. And I had to learn to deal with it um, once it had a name, but I had to like through the denial that they were like oh it's not there you don't have it and you know it's it even flared up a bit this year and you know you get in a dark place for a while and you you get stuck in your head and uh, you, you gotta kind of get get yourself back out of it again and luckily you know it was only a little bit of a, a dip for you know and, and then you're back on the horse
0: <laughs> yeah yeah anxiety um is indeed very very disabling isn't it and it is a yes. mental health uh, issue And in the UK, at least, and I imagine in, in the States, it's on the rise in general among adults generally, or um, in well, children as well, actually. And in the UK, we've made a lot of progress with destigmatizing mental health. But there is a long way to go, especially in some uh, communities. Uh, and that's really important because, you know, if, we're, if we can sort of accept that mental health is, is you know, it's, it's just a reality and uh, we all have mental health. And it's okay, you know, to recognize and accept that, you know, people can have, that you may have a mental health issue. If you dissect it, sort of forensically investigate why you're anxious or why you're depressed, there are very often reasonable underpinning Mm -hmm. reasons, right? I mean.
1: It's always an accumulation of things. It's never mm. just one thing usually, you know, it's, it's just like the bucket becomes full and it's too much,
0: but but understanding that that's okay and that you know you can move forward and it is what it is and and not hating yourself for it and and talking about it is really important you know and and that's again part of stigma isn't it when you've got when you've got stigma towards mental health there aren't those conversations there's you know a lack of recognition that it's happening you know it's it's considered shameful you know in some communities so that's a big problem but in the UK at least we've made a, um, some good some good progress in all over the years with mental health and people are a lot more open about it in general about their mental health issues although there's still a prob- bit of a problem with, with men they're still a little bit closed about it so there's there's a lot more conversations happening which is really good but is that the same in the states is, is it, is it, is, it sti- is it slowly being destigmatized? would you say in mental health or, or what's I your think, view on I that I think
1: it depends on who you talk to and where you're from mm. um And I think a lot of the younger generations here are more uh, savvy to mental health and and they're more aware of it. Uh, And in Texas, I'm from Texas. And, you know, my whole life, I, you know, there's Texas tough is a thing. I don't know if you've heard of that in the UK, Texas tough, but, no. you know, it's, you know, I, I, I remember like I'd fall down and cut my knee open and cry and my mom would pick me up and dust me off. And, you know, we don't cry and it didn't matter if you were in pain or bleeding, like you, you have to suck it up and you have to be tough all the time. And they, they just teach you to like suppress your discomfort all the time. And it's like programmed into you from a young age. Which is terrible, you know. Um, there's even a country song. It's cheesy. It says, cowgirls don't cry or something like that. I don't
0: know. All <laughs> right. Wow.
1: You know, tech, tech, yeah. it, it's, it's you know, the mentality out here mm. in Texas. You know, it's, mm. you, you know, eat, eat or be eaten. Kind of everyone needs to be toughened up kind of a thing. And Austin's better because I think we have people coming in from the coast. And California have been moving here. And it's a bit more, um, oh, I think open-minded and more. You know, influenced culturally by the rest of the country, Uh, but I think it really depends on where you are. Uh, But I don't—I still think we're more behind than the UK is on it.
0: Yeah, you may be, you may be. Yeah, yeah. Although it's difficult to compare, isn't it? Because the US is just such a huge country, right? I mean, your your some of your states are two or three times bigger than the UK. You know, it's like you have train
1: systems. You have to hop on a plane to go anywhere in this country. Yeah,
0: it's 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 unbelievable. (laughs) Um, but going back to neurodiversity, could I ask you um, about your any views you have about how we can promote neuro neurodiversity, including in the workplace? Because, of course, there's a lot of workplace discrimination. A lot of people who are autistic purposely uh, don't disclose that they're autistic during uh, their job application or their interview process because... Of, of being you know feared you know fearing that they may be rejected because of it uh and then perhaps disclosing afterwards so you know the statistics aren't aren't particularly good when it comes to um i suppose the official figures you might say aren't partic- don't have look them particularly in my good notes <laughs> yeah
1: i have the official figures I, and, and and you know i the number is quite high i think most often i see it's about they estimate eighty and that's the number they throw around. And, you know, something that you touched on, and that I I honestly believe that number, it might not be that high because of how many people are, you know, either closeted about their being autistic or they're undiscovered, undiagnosed, you know, not openly autistic. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of... um, stigma still in workplaces or certain jobs. People feel they may not, uh, they may lose their job or they may be pigeonholed at work if they come out. Uh, and I'm, I'm really lucky, you know, to have had an employer that's willing to work with me and accommodate me. And I work remotely most of the time. I set my own pace and I manage my own schedule and I'm not being micromanaged. Um, but I can't work under any of those conditions. And even, you know, now I have a very high demand role. I, I'm the VP of Marketing and I'm also doing, you know, business consulting and uh, doing my public speaking and all these things. But all of that would be impossible for me if I had to go into an office every day just to show my face for the sake of showing my face. And I had, had to, you know, drive to and from work every day because I can drive a car, but it's very, it's, it's something that is always going to be really taxing on me. I, you know, I can handle it, but you know, by the time I get, you know, after two hours in the car commuting, I'm brain dead already because I, you know, I, I'm not fresh. So Mm. having someone who's willing to accommodate me and, you know, let me manage myself and my schedule. And we have face-to-face meetings, you know, and we come and are all together. Um, and we're really close I think in this team closer than I've ever been with a team that is, um, even a face-to-face team where I went to an office all the time. Um, but you know, in, I, I honestly, I have I, mean, I have a list of ways that I think employers can help. You know, I've been working on designing a program. Um, like, I've got a whole program outlined.
0: Oh, really? Um, could we Could we hear a little bit about it?
1: <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll say. Let me sum, summarize um, because there, there's a lot of things employers really can do to make the workplace better uh, for autistic people in general, or you know, just everyone. A lot of the things that neurodivergent people want in the workplace are things that can benefit everyone. Um, And for employers wanting to be agents of change, the first step really is education. Mm. Uh, Because like we've been talking about today, there's so much misinformation out there. You know, you have your, uh, you know, most autistic people, you know, if they come out and they're like, hi, I'm autistic, you know, the reaction can't be oh, I'm so sorry. Or, uh, why would you tell me that? That's, you know, that's really personal. You shouldn't share it or no, you're not like all of these, you know, the, mm. that can't be the reaction. People need to understand what that really means for that person. Because, you know, it's, it's a little bit like coming out of the closet, you know, um, you know, mm. I, I consider myself someone who's come out of both closets. So I, I think I, I've, I can compare this. Um, uh, yeah. and it's, you know, imagine if someone came out of the closet and they said, Hey, I'm, I'm gay. And someone said, No, you're not.
0: Yeah. I don't believe you. It's unbelievable. It's just, like, how, how yeah. would that,
1: you know, you wouldn't inv- invalidate someone like that. Or, or yeah. they said, Oh, I'm so sorry you're gay. Like, that's, yeah. you know, we know I mean, that's how hurtful is that? now. Yeah. It's really hurtful. Yeah. And so, education first, like what autism is, like how much that can really be different from one person to the next. Um, Because, you know, every single, it's just like non-autistic people. Every single autistic person is very different. We all have very, um, you know, we're all unique human beings. So, surprise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, educating, you know, the leadership teams and the managers first. And then they have to educate everyone in the general workforce. uh, And they have to create, um, you know, that that environment where being openly autistic isn't, you know, thought of as a bad thing and where it's okay and where, you know, uh, it's encouraged and honestly encouraging like the mental health discussions in the workplace, those things help as well too. And discussing, you know, me being open about being autistic in my workplace uh, and I'm very open about my mental health and all of that as well has encouraged everyone else on the team to be a lot more vulnerable and open. And we have these discussions and we're very honest with each other because it's a place where it is safe to have these discussions. Um, And the other thing is, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like if you go in and hire someone to come into your organization and talk about autism, it can't be those medical people and it can't be people who aren't autistic. You need to bring autistic and neurodivergent educators in to speak on the topics of autism and neurodiversity. Uh, you know, you're, you're, Don't bring the non-autistic person to come in and preach about autism. Mm-hmm. The autistic people in your company are going to hate you if you do that because they're going to talk about autistic people like they're some other. You know, Here's this other class of people. Instead of having an autistic person say, Hey, I'm autistic. This is my experience. This is, you know, so let because people. It's sad, but people don't see autistic people as people. They, see, you know, we're an other, and so we don't want something separate or, you know, to be othered. You know, the point is, you know, we're we're people just like you. Um, That's and terrific. you know, it's it's just fostering that environment where being openly autistic is open, accepted, and normal, and then you know, creating that um, supportive space. Um, yeah, mm. and and, there, and I could go on and on about this because there's, there's so many things and that's really just kind of one of the first, and I think most important steps that, you know, pe- businesses need to do uh, if, they, if they wanna at least get the culture to where they're ready to accept, um, you know, autistic hires.
0: I think it'd be great because, you know, if if we can foster that, then I think that that's going to aid um, the reduction of, you know, the discrimination generally, even during the job application stage. I mean, if the, if, your, if your team is learning more about autism and, and uh, you know, learning about it in the right way uh, and about autistic people in the right way, then I suppose they're going to be more open to employing, you know, whoever it is that's best for the job, regardless of whether they're autistic or not, you know, which is often mm-hmm. not the case. So... Um, so it's going to help with, with that, and also, I suppose it might encourage people, autistic people, to to feel a bit more confident about applying for work, for 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 pursuing work, because I suppose there are many people that that sort of just expect the stigma, and and uh, that can be quite difficult to cut through potentially. So, well, yeah, I've,
1: I've got a thought about that. That one comment you just made, you know. You know, I've, I've worked in jobs, you know, not knowing I was Autistic and so not diagnosing, and then I've worked in jobs where, you know, now I've disclosed in the interview process, and I'm Autistic regardless of whether I tell people I'm Autistic, you know, I'm still going to be an Autistic employee, whether they know I'm an Autistic employee, and so, you know, having somewhere where i can feel supported and you know really be my the best version of myself uh, that's just really amazing and that's that's something I, I haven't felt um in a really long time
0: so that's so great I, to I hear and know. that's going to be great for your me- mental health isn't it yes well. yeah and then your your sort of productivity and all the rest of it isn't it it's I want just it a win-win everybody yeah. I, want,
1: I want everybody to have that you know oh
0: yeah. Who takes a lead on that process? Uh, you know, you were describing, you know, the sort of fostering of of, of communication. And, well, I mean,
1: it has to, you know, you have to have your leadership team in on it. It has to be important to them um, because it has to be, you know, the it has to like trickle down to the employees. That is this something that's very important to the organization as and the company. You know, you can't force, and you can't force this down people's throats. Like it has to actually like resonate with people. And unfortunately there are probably workspaces that have just maybe I would call, I, I don't want to say toxic, but you know, it, for autistic people, what I would say would be a toxic culture. Um, and well, no, there, there are toxic, toxic culture is kind of toxic for anyone. Uh, but yeah. you know, autistic people are kind of the canary in the coal mine, I think. And they're going to be forced out of the workplace quicker uh, when you've got a really bad culture problem happening within an organization.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You, you put it really nicely. Um, thank you. Where, where, can, where can we learn more about your the program that you're devising? <laughs> Is that going to be published somewhere or are you going to put that up somewhere or we'll talk about it on your, on your channels?
1: More to come in 2020. Um, Exciting. I've, I've you know I've done little pieces here and there uh and helped people with everything and uh, you know unfortunately getting businesses to do the right thing because it's the right thing and getting them to put their money where their mouth is isn't always easy for them to say these are all the things you really should be doing uh they want to say well we're not ready to do everything we should be doing, but we want to do some good anyway. So, you know, I, I haven't gotten to do all of it at once with any one organization yet. And it's like, this is the dream scenario. Um, and I don't know, you know, I'll be, I'll be sharing more, um, more in, in the new year. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about the work and the, the opportunity to, be able to do this and you know, the, the team I'm working with now, you know, when it was just me, I was more hesitant and I was kind of holding myself back a lot. Um, but because I'm working with, you know, a team of HR and business, um, professionals that have been, you know, in HR, you know, the the combined years of experience is just a a lot, a lot of years experience. Um, and they're just, just really sharp, um, people who who know their stuff supporting me uh it's just great because i just have so much confidence
0: (laughs) fantastic really great to hear congrats that's really really nice and i really can't wait we can't wait to see um to see you know see the program and and hear about it you know in, in due course so
2: yeah well well um on that 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 sounds amazing um would you be able to share any kind of advice you have for Anyone, any professionals listening um, where companies could give better support and maybe promote neurodiversity better in their companies?
1: You know, a lot of the things that's important to realize that autistic people might ask for as accommodations in the workplace uh, are things that why not grant for anyone in your workplace who asks for them, autistic or not, diagnosis or not? You know, because we have a, di- a diagnostic disparity and we, um, we you know, we have um, a problem with people, you know, being able to access diagnosis, like I said. Uh, but we also, you know, have, oh, s- someone on my team has come to me with a request that they need something that this would make their life easier. Why why, why are we saying no to that? You know, I had a, a job and it was like where I all, my my one... Request was to on the job that I thought I was going to be a work remote job, but they, they gradually had me in more and more. Um, my one request was please let me sit by the window in natural light, kind of off in a corner out of a main walkway away from the fluorescent lighting in the high traffic area where people are just walking by me constantly.
0: That seems and, like and a reasonable
1: and you, a bit. You know, you know, why it was denied. Everybody wants that, and that's the point. You know, letting people, you know, some people may like the open office environment, but some people may need to work in a quiet space, in a quiet environment. So, you know, have a dedicated space where this is the quiet workspace for people who need to work in quiet. This isn't just an autism problem, you know, or an ADHD people I'm sure would appreciate it too. Uh, I've got a lot of ADHD friends, Um, but other people can, like some people just will work better in quiet or... Even your noisy out there people who want to be sitting in the open office, talking to their peers all day, which I, you know, I don't want any part of that. I can't, I can't get anything done. But those people, if they're working on a project with a deadline, they may need to go work in the quiet space for a while because they now need to focus. So like a lot of these things that autistic people are asking for really do benefit the the wider workplace or, you know, scheduling flexibility, letting your employer your employees work from home if it's appropriate for their job or you know letting them do you know maybe the three-day work weeks or four-day work weeks and you know work longer hours one day and flex their schedule uh, and let them pace their own schedule if it's appropriate you know it has to always depends on what their job actually is and if you know making it work with their job functions but why not do this for everyone not you know not just neurodivergent employees because this helps everyone out you know it's taking care of you know being a good custodian of your workforce
0: as a whole absolutely
2: yeah and and in turn it will probably increase the um, productivity of the company so it's really to everyone's benefit yeah
1: Yeah. well did you see microsoft put out something that they went to a i think it was like a four-day work week recently and they they had a percentage in productivity jump that they were, you know it's microsoft so it was measurable and i don't remember what the number was it was as high as 40 percent i believe but you know don't don't hold me to it i could have that number wrong but it was a number that made me raise an eyebrow
0: wow i didn't know that after looking yeah, into but it
1: of course a four-day work week you know uh, mm. people are going to be more fresh and it's going to be their best work every single day if they're working less
0: it is being suggested over here, but there seems to be a lot of pushback about uh, towards it. You know, it won't uh, happen You know, in it's, it's sort of viewed <laughs> socially. It's often viewed as a sort of lazy way of working. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you how can you drop one day? You know, <laughs> that you know, there's that sort of uh, that sort of take. You know, it seems like a la- you know a lazy approach. Uh, well, you but you but, can but, even mean, do
1: hmm. a forty-hour work week in four days if you do 10s. Yeah. Uh, you know, if some people you know some people that's better for them. Yeah. And it depends. Like some people, they may say, "Oh, I'm better if I do a split shift, and then I need a few hours off to recover, and then I'll come back and finish my work." Mm. You know, why not let people work at their own pace? Because yeah. everyone's pace is different. Every yeah. single human. You know.
0: Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Is there anything else you wish to to sort of talk about or highlight, Chris
1: Oh gosh, I, I don't know. I you know I, we we have so much work to do on you know neurodiversity and you know fixing the employment problem and really the workforce problem I think in general you know we 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 talk about how there's a mental health crisis in the world really right now and we can't say that that isn't tied into workplace and you know stress and things like that so you know like I said these issues are universal you know neurodiversity uh, it it it's not just neurodivergent people neurodiversity includes all brains even the non-autistic brains you know they're included in neurodiversity because they're part of the diversity you know autistic non-autistic you know, we're all in this together uh and you know that's that's kind of what i'm hoping people uh learn you yeah. know I, I don't know
0: <laughs> i we fully agree fully agree Um, Do you want to um, say anything else about uh, any of the consultancy work that you do or any of the advocacy or any other sort of activities that you'd like to promote or talk about or or, you know how might people contact you or anything like that?
1: Sure sure Uh, this year has really been a whirlwind um you know, I've learned that I really do love teaching. And so I, I hit the pavement, you know, this year and started taking on more public speaking, training, uh, facilitation and education gigs all over the country. Uh, and I'm willing to travel internationally. I'd love to. I'd love to come to the UK. Someone please uh. give me an a excuse to come to the UK. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It, it's, it's been it's been wild. And, you know, I I am um, I, I've started writing a book uh, and. I, I'm, I took a pause because I traveled a lot last month and I'm, I'm going to start back up again this with this weekend and next week. Um, but it's going to be a book you kind know, of about, about my life and my journey and experience growing up undiagnosed and learning about autism later in life. Um, and then, you know, this year, you know, I, like I mentioned, I partnered with the Austin Alliance group and, you know, they're, they're a team of se- seasoned business and HR professionals and, um, I just love a good collaboration, so there's just so many more good things to to come. Uh, oh, contact information <laughs> uh, it's 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 pretty easy to find me uh, if, if you Google Neurodivergent Rebel, you can find me. Uh, I'm on all forms of social media. My website is neurodivergentrebel.com. You can also find me at neurodivergentconsulting.org. dot uh, org and people are welcome to email me info at neurodivergentconsulting
0: dot org fantastic obviously we'll put all this on the um podcast description as well but i think that's all from me i'm aware that i've taken up a lot we've taken up a lot of your
2: time is anything else uh james from your side i'd just like to say a massive thank you to you uh christoph for everything you've done i think in particular your your youtube videos they're very short and to the point and there's so much that you've packed into them you know that for anyone um that wants to know more learn more about um neurodiversity or autism or all all of the things that overlap the you know overlap that um that's the you know your youtube channel is the place to go uh, you've covered like every issue under the sun i think um and uh, it's just amazing and uh, th- i want to thank you for thank that thank you um, thank you so much
0: I think you need a, a, a maybe a video about your experience in London, though, Krista. So uh, <laughs> come over, vlog, in vlog it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: let, 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 let's see if we can get you know, can get an organization to fly me over to give a, a keynote or a speech in London. <laughs> oh,
0: we'll have to sort of see what we can I do. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that we'll would be uh,
1: that would be really really amazing. That would be a dream.
0: Uh we will look into that. Okay, so I just want to echo what James said. Just congratulations. Amazing work. Thank you for everything that you do. And thanks for speaking to us on the Autism podcast and uh uh we hope to maybe have you again sometime in the in the future if that would be okay. Oh, yes.
1: Thank you so much. It's been great. I really, I really was wonderful. Thank you for having me on, guys.
0: No, 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 no. Our pleasure. Absolutely our pleasure. Okay, so bye from me. And bye from me.
1: Bye.